Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. There's an intelligence in your heart that doesn't live in your head. The head thinks, but the heart knows. You know, your morning coffee and morning pages, morning notes, the release that that leads to, the skin of the orange over the juice, getting to the honesty on the inside. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Will, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Here we are. Grateful to be here. Thank you. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So you have a new book out called Which Way is North? A Creative Compass for Makers, Marketers, and Mystics. And when I found out that you were the head uh, global brand ambassador and head of creative strategy at Reddit, I thought, wait a minute, what the hell is a guy who's a mystic doing doing that? <laughs> I'm like, now I definitely want to talk to this guy because I'm always a skeptic when it comes to mystics. But yeah. um, before we get into the book, one of the senses I got from reading the book was that the relationship with your father had a profound impact on your life. And I'm curious what you learned from him that ended up shaping and influencing who you've become and what you've done with your life. Yeah. Um, it's hard to choose one lesson from him. There were many, but what, what comes to mind for me now in this moment, as I'm here, uh, on the other side of releasing a book and promoting it, right. Uh, is that he showed his support for my creativity by, trying his best to put me in front of people that were out there in the world that were creating culture, that were a part of it. And I kind of felt as a kid, like I was playing in a sandbox on the ground and there were all these icons up in the sky that were the ones that were on stage or on screens and whatnot. And he was so good at finding a way to just make an introduction, to reach out to them, to to get a dinner on the books or something like that. And I think that lesson really comes to mind for me now because he taught me to believe in myself that that life is attainable. Yeah. Well, for parents who are listening to this, uh, what would you tell them about instilling that kind of belief in their children? Because I remember writing in my book about creativity, you know, having grown up in the Indian, Indian culture, I always think Indians like think art just falls from the sky. It's like, who do you think makes the movies you watch and <laughs> That's right. the books that you read? I'm like, there are artists who create this stuff, but it's so not part of the cultural narrative to even think about those as career paths. So 
for, for parents who are listening to this, what would you tell them about instilling their belief in their own creativity in them? That's right. That's right. It's just people that are making all of it. Uh, I'm not a parent, so my advice, you know, has a limited context. Uh, but what I saw from what my father and my mother did for me is in that scenario of making these introductions, I was very eager to bring mentors into my life. And it wasn't just people that had, quote unquote, made the grade and established some fame in their field, but teachers and schooling and education. I think that there was a, a great understanding that they carried of their limitations of what they could provide for me mentorship wise. And so they didn't just seek one mentor, but they were tirelessly pursuing many to bring in to help me develop. Yeah. Well, what has been the trajectory that led to you becoming what the person you are and, you know, doing the work that you do at Reddit? Because Mystic doesn't exactly fit into all of this as far as I'm <laughs> concerned, but that's actually what got my attention the most. So talk me through the trajectory of how you ended up here to begin with. Sure. I mean, my background is really creativity first and foremost. I went to an art school. I went to a music school for college and I played bass professionally for about 15 years. And that was an area that, you know, I practiced my instrument for eight hours a day. I, I studied music theory. I, we did ear training, learned how to, you know, understand and, and work with music from the inside out. And taking one discipline that far helped me to learn how to strive for mastery in any other domain. But that schooling was really expensive. And when I graduated from college, I, I didn't really know how I was going to make ends meet. And the short version of that story is that that's what led me into the realm of digital media and marketing, where candidly, a lot of artists end up going because that's where we can apply our creativity. But what I found when I was stepping into this domain is that the training in the arts that I had, specifically in music theory, was universally applicable for any kind of creativity. You know, so with music, for example, you are working, it's mathematic, you're working with systems of seven or 12. There's seven notes in a scale, seven, uh, 12 notes chromatically in, in Western music, right? And we are drilled in to know how to play with every possible combination and permutation ordering of those numbers. And it was used for me for playing music at first, but then I found that it was very useful for rapidly reordering ideas. And the improvisational experiences that I had being in jam sessions, with hopping between different genres, also gave me an adeptness to be in a brainstorm. And that is the area where creativity brought some very, very specific and valuable tools to bear in my what became my professional career in media and marketing. Similarly, I looked at some of the systems and tools of my mystical upbringing and found that they were very, very much the same, that there is a usefulness to these things that hasn't necessarily been connected to you know, the domain of, uh, of, of life and career. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think that that's what struck me the most about the book was that you somehow blended the mysticism and the practicality together, which I hadn't seen before, which is what I appreciated. Cause I'm like the ultimate new age skeptic, which my friends always like, you realize half the people on your show are people <laughs> who fall into the category of what you call new age nonsense. And I'm like, yes, that's I'm good. well aware of that, but I'm willing to question it. Um, but before we get deeper into the book and, and the seven directions that you talked about, 
one thing I wonder about as a musician, because I grew up playing the tuba. I played for, I think, 13 years. Uh, my dad talked to me about going to the USC School of Music because, as you know, tuba players are, you know, one in every orchestra. You wait for somebody to die before a job opens up. So <laughs> the job prospects there were not, you know, particularly promising. And it's tough. It's yeah. a tough instrument. Yeah. So, but I think the thing that came to me from music was discipline and habits, yeah. all of which have been instrumental to everything I've done as a writer and a creator. So I'm wondering, like, for you, what are the habits, the the discipline, the things you learned from being somebody who took music that far, as you alluded to, like, really the, the discipline of mastery? What are the things that you learned from that that you brought into your day-to-day life uh, as far as habits, rituals, routines, et cetera? Yeah, to commit to something up to eight hours a day, you know, before that was practice. But when it came time to write this book, I just dropped that project into that space that was already in my psyche, in my, you know, kind of second nature. And so I was able to make the time for it because I had done that before and I had seen the fruits of that labor before. So I I could believe that it was worth it. And also, you know, building a meditation practice, there's a lot of the same kind of, um, you know, adages, you know, across them, like in, in, in music, like my guitar teacher would be like, you gotta, you gotta sit in the chair every day. And meditation teachers are like, you gotta sit in the mat every day. So my relationship, not only to doing it, but not doing it and overcoming the shame of like, I didn't show up for myself today. I didn't meditate. I didn't practice. And then getting back on the horse, as they say, and continuing forward, not letting that take me out. All of those patterns were deeply instilled in me and I could access them, call upon them rather than have to build them for the first time to to bring these new uh, elements into my life. Yeah. Well, you opened the book by saying we all struggle with creation because creation is struggle. That's life's magic. That kind of sings beyond paint, canvas or words on a page. And you mentioned this idea of just sitting in the chair or sitting on the mat. And something that I find very often when I talk to people, I realize like, I'm like, okay, just sit down and write. And I remember this girl at a party once told me, she's like, well, you can't just sit down and write. And I was like, oh my God, if I, needless to say, that girl would never go on a date with me. Cause I was like, that's complete bullshit, by the way. I was like, that's probably why you've been working on your book for five years. I was like, wow, Stephen King was right that you are not going to be a member of polite society if you ever decide to become a writer. Uh, but like, I hear these same sort of excuses over and over again. I don't have time. I can't just sit down and write. And of course, like, as you know, and I know that's nonsense, but you know, what is it that creates that just incredible level of what Stephen Pressfield calls resistance when it comes to creative work? Because like nobody feels resistance to checking their email. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that you're to start with the email piece. A lot of us, especially right now are conditioned to get that kind of cortisol injection in our bloodstream, those stress hormones that gets us out of bed. You know, if you're looking at your phone, checking your email or checking social media, that's, I think, really what you're looking for. And it's very, very easy to get habituated to that little fix that it's like, oh, I'm being dragged out. There's something external that is making me do something. But the domain of creativity and art, it's internal, not external. And, you know, if there's any hormones related to it, it might be dopamine, it might be serotonin, it might be oxytocin, it might be the good ones, right? But those kind of seep up a little slower. They don't jolt you in that same way. They're just like a warm blanket that comes from within. 
And you can't access that stuff without getting all of the distraction out of the way. And that's where most of the resistance is. There's like a, you know, there's, there's a, it's like an orange. There's like a skin over the juicy part on the inside that you have to peel back. And that external layer, that skin is your emails. It's the stresses that media has put into you or the experiences you've had with friend and family, the, the, the chatter that's in your head. And journaling in particular, it's a great exercise because a lot of people say, and I will say this too, that half the reason to do five minutes of writing in the morning is to get that junk out. The first page is just getting past that. So you're creating some space for the internal stuff to kind of come out. And, and everybody needs that a little bit differently. Some people it's writing, some people it's drawing, some people it's painting, some people it's, it's music. But to get to your inner self requires some degree of practice to, to peel back that skin and get to the juice. Yeah. Well, you said it so much more eloquently because I summed it up in a blog post saying that a brain dump is like a bowel movement for your brain. <laughs> well, hey, yeah, that too. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's, that's why you drink that morning cup of coffee, right? Yeah, exactly. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Well, tell me how you even came up with this idea of what you call the seven directions framework. Because you say that the seven directions is a framework for contemplation is great for spinning up an idea, turning around and seeing a clear path towards its creation as a meditation through the seven directions becomes a compass for profound inner journey. So how did you even develop this framework from all the work you did? How did it emerge? So at the start of endeavoring to write a book, I had a lot of ideas for it. And I I always consult with a lot of people before I put anything out there. And nothing was really a bullseye until we kind of got to the point where the question was, why don't we deconstruct how I think? And so that was really the genesis of the seven directions system itself, uh, because you know we talked about my background in music. We talked a little bit about my career and whatnot. I've made a living off of being creative very quickly and effectively. And so that I kind of had to get it from other people's reflections. That is the interesting thing that I have to share. So I sat down and I was like, okay, how do I think? Where do my ideas come from? And it was shockingly instantaneous. The seven direction system just came out within five minutes. Um, so, you know, that was the origin of it. And then the rest of the work was integrating that, you know, some people, some people in the new age community would call that a download. You just mm -hmm. get a ton of information really quickly and then you have to integrate it and put it to work. And I really called upon some of the past experiences that I had in my music education and my mystical education that were uh, working with the phenomenology of inner experiences that arise so that you can start to grab a hold of whatever it is that's coming up on the inside and turn it into creativity. That system, Seven Directions, happened at the same time that 2020 was happening. And I was called to lead meditations for people that were struggling. We all were struggling with a lot of anxiety. And the system was the same in terms of, okay, you know, this is about creativity, but it's also about anxiety, basically sitting with yourself, identifying and articulating the struggle that you're feeling. And that's something that's good for making art or calming your nerves. And it all just kind of created itself. It manifested itself. You know, one of the things that struck me most that you said was that this is a key for you to consider is that art is subjective. Science is objective. The greatest creations come from those who know how to make the subjective and objective align. Mm. So can you expand on that for me? Because I think that that was one of those phrases I thought, hell yes. And then I was like, hey, what does he really mean by that? 
Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of passes that I take at the book uh, in terms of reconciling the skepticism. And one of the areas that for me as an author was very important is I see a lot of voices in the spirituality space trying to speak the language of science and say that this is like a science. And I don't want to do that. I just want to say, well, what if we just talk about this as art? And what if art has value that is an equal counterpart in a marriage to science? Because art is the subjective domain. It's the humanities. It's understanding not explanation, which is what science delivers us, but experience and being able to have clarity of your internal experience. So that is one of the many places in that book where I play with that frame between let's put Let's put art and subjectivity on one side, and that's the domain of our spiritual experience. And let's put science and objectivity on the other side, and and that's the domain of our technology. Now that we've done that, let's talk about the relationship between those two. I believe that's an effective contribution to the conversation of the human experience. Well, let's talk about that through the lens of what you call a creative vision. You say that creative vision is about what you see without your eyes, whether they're open or closed. It is the programming code of your experience, determining what you notice and what you don't, both in the dark of your imagination and in the light of your surroundings. So let's talk about bridging the gap between a creative vision and making that creative vision reality through the lens of each of these seven directions. Uh, Because I feel like there are people who have no shortage of ideas and Mm -hmm but a, a, a incredible shortage of execution of those ideas, mm-hmm, particularly mm-hmm. with creatives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's so that's where the, the marriage of these becomes really complete because execution, it's in the it's in the domain of science, right? It's the tools, it's the technology, it's what you do to take what is on the inside and get it out, right? And so that is something that is very difficult for people in, in the creative fields, I think, because to some degree, we are really born with a unique perspective on the world. Of course we are. And so we, we come into the world and then when we're like I was as a young student, we learn our instrument. We, we, we get our mentors that teach us how to express ourselves, whatever it is that we carry in a way that the rest of the world is, is ready to receive, ready to understand. Uh, we're learning how to join the conversation that's already there. Creative vision is, it, it, it's a term that I, I, I repeat a few times throughout the book. And the reason for that is to help the reader anchor this idea in terms of how do I describe this, this thing that I carry by which I could possibly express myself? And I'm speaking to multiple people at once. The impetus for even talking about creative vision in the first place is when I made the change from being in the art world to the business world. And there were people that said, you come up with an idea. You're the creative one. I'm not. I can't do that. And I was like, what are you talking about? That was really shocking for me. So when I'm talking about the creative vision in this book, I'm inviting people to really claim that for themselves because this is not necessarily a book about execution. We don't Mm -hmm. talk about paint. We don't talk about, you know, writing copy. We don't talk about SEO optimization. We don't talk about the kinds of things that typically go into a book about creativity or marketing or or spirituality. It's very, very deep in terms of what is your relationship with your own vision inside of yourself? 
If that switch is not turned on, how do we do it? Well, speaking of, of turning that switch on, one of the things that you say is that if you want others to value the creative visions you see, start by connecting your vision with symbols. Symbols hold the intangible means of creative vision into a form that binds its story into something memorable. So talk to me about this idea of symbols and, and you know, give us some examples of this. Because like in my mind, the first thing I'm thinking is the apple with a bite out of it. Like, does, is that a symbol for the Apple brand? Because um, I've been seeing this idea of symbols in a few other books I've read, and it just got me thinking. I was like, okay, how do I do that in my own work? Yeah, yeah. So uh, that is something that I play with in the book itself. So I show it first thing. So anybody that has the book, the first uh, like eight or so pages, you see these uh, symbols that are a motif that repeats throughout every chapter. There's a point, a vision, a compass, a star, and you're seeing how it is slowly unfolding. And that, that's something that I designed to, again, show what I'm talking about when it comes to this idea of what symbols do for us. And so the eye is a great example of a deeply archetypal symbol. It's a symbol in this case for creative vision, um, but it's a symbol for so, so much more. And I, I expand quite a bit in terms of, you know, the, the eye of raw and the eye of, you know, provenance on the, the dollar and in, in different ways that the eye has been used in sort of our, our relationship with ideas and value in this world. So that's, that's one example to look to. The, the apple example is, is also great because you have the bitten apple, which in the Western world is a, a reference to the fruit of the tree of knowledge. That goes very, very, very deep into our psyche in terms of programming what our relationship is going to be with this thing that is branded with this symbol. And if it's as practical as logo design, the colors that you choose are one thing, the forms that you choose are another, but there is an archetypal language in a lot of mythic symbols like the eye, like the fruit that runs very, very deep. And I do personally believe that it's very important for people that are in the media world, that are the ones that are creating and purveying these symbols to have literacy in terms of what is the archetypal language that you're using, because it has an unconscious effect on people. And that's something to be mindful about. Yeah. Well, it just got me thinking, like, as I read that, and I was um, reading this, uh, other book called The Iconist by Jamie Mustard. And I was like, okay, mm. how does somebody figure out what that symbol would be for their own work? Like, I was just thinking about it from the perspective of Unmistakable and it had been racking my brain about this. And when I saw it again, I was like, okay, there's something here. I need to explore this more. And now that I have you here, you know, I get the benefit, you know, since I'm the beneficiary of getting to pick your brain, like, how does somebody uncover that symbol? Well, you know, to some degree, it's, uh, it's a great way to decode what is happening in the collective unconscious. And, you know, let's ground that idea, the collective unconscious in terms of what are the accidental behaviors that illuminate the stories that we're telling ourselves collectively about who we are and where we're going. So, you know, that expresses itself in what's fashionable, basically. Uh, what are the, you know, characters that we are seeing in our stories and, and what, what myths do those characters come from? So as, as a consumer of media, symbols are very, very much a, uh, a way in which I kind of get a sense of what is going on here? What are the stories that are being told? What are the archetypes that are coming to the forefront, right? And, you know, there's um, 
there's there's characters in films and in TV shows. You know, Marvel is a great example of the re-expression of archetypes like God characters from different pantheons. And you have these shifts that take place between them, right? You've got, in that case, you've literally got the character of Tony Stark, who's like a, he's like a scientist and an engineer. And then you've got Dr. Strange, who is the mystic, right? Literally has an eye necklace. And there is a shift between them in the storytelling of who is taking that role of the kind of arrogant leader. But they're playing, they're cast into the same role, but it's a different character. And so this is a part of, for me, media literacy, because I notice why these shifts are happening. And I, and I wonder why. Why is, why is that character going through that kind of transformation on a screen that all these people are seeing? Or why, why is it that, you know, a company like Apple would choose to have the bitten Apple as its logo? Why, why is it that, um, you know, uh, Nike, the, the, the Greek god of, of victory is, is such a powerful, you know, athletic brand? Uh, it's a relationship between what is happening now what you can see in the modern media and educating yourself on where a lot of these symbols and characters and myths come from. Yeah. Well, it's funny because as you're saying that I have a, a cup of Starbucks coffee on my desk and I never noticed before what this yeah. logo is like. I'm it's like, a there's siren. A, yeah, there's a woman and, you know, and I was like, wow, okay. Which that had never, I'd never even paid attention to that until you were just saying that. Yeah. So let's unpack that. Right. So the siren comes from the Odyssey and it's uh, it's the um, the the songstresses in the ocean that Odysseus asked his crew to tie him to the mast of the ship so that he could hear the siren's song, but not be so enchanted to jump into the water and drown as is sort of like the the curse of them. Um, and so what does that do for the Starbucks brand? Right. What it what it kind of brings to mind for me is that there's this journey that Odysseus is on. It's the, the journey. It's the Odyssey, right? And Starbucks as that third place, right? It's also something that you can rely on and feel like you know what you're going to get when you come across a Starbucks in an airport or in a different city. So archetypally, Starbucks does have a role to play anytime I'm on an Odyssey. I always get that spinach feta wrap and then a, and then a, a, a cold brew, right? So it's archetypally connecting itself deeply with people's unconscious sense of being on an odyssey. It's comfort when you're away from home. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, let's talk about this idea of repair. Because you say, no matter how you've lived, you have a past, mistake, wounds, triumph, all memories that keep an energy for you to tap. If you're willing and able to find them again, your past can be a gift if you would accept it. And, you know, the, I always joke that if anybody wants proof that your past pain is, you know, fuel for your future creativity, just look at the rock band Chicago. They've built a multi-decade recording career up of nothing but pain and heartbreak. <laughs> so if you listen Not to the, the lyrics, only ones, that's yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it, but it struck me that, you know, I think the key word there is if you would accept it. Um, so how yeah. does somebody accept their past and the pain of it and use that as fuel for the future of creativity? Yeah, so this is kind of turned out to be like the main main theme of our conversation so far, mythology, right? Um, wow. And that's 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 fun. So in that chapter, I I I do a little bit of personal analysis on the Perseus myth, and again, it plays with that dynamic between art and science because I love a constellation of stars in the sky because they only exist from our vantage points. Those stars aren't actually objectively close together, but they are subjectively close together when we see them from our vantage point. And we have imbued those constellations with stories that share deep, deep wisdom for future generations. It's it's one of the most beautiful things that we can look up at our, our sky and see what hands that came before us pointed to and said, hey, this is important. There's a story here to pay attention to. So in that chapter, I talk about the Persian meteor shower, which is uh, midsummer, and it's like late August, early September. 
And there is literally like a blockbuster movie that plays out in the sky. And it's in the ordering of how the different constellations rise. You've got all the characters like Perseus and Cassiopeia, Andromeda, the galaxy. And, and, and I talk through how it unfolds. And that is a little bit of a story. This is, um, what's the, uh, what's the film? The Wrath of the Titans or remember, not remember the Titans. Uh, but it's been, it's been turned into a blockbuster film many times. And it's, this is the character of the hero who, rides out on a unicorn carrying Medusa's head and it uses Medusa's head to 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 defeat the Kraken that is uh you know trying to consume the the damsel in distress who represents our future. So this is a story about how we save our future from the jaws of chaos. And he gets Medusa's head from a cave where he has to go into and defeat this monster whose own story is kind of a uh, an allegory for trauma because there's something terrible that happened to Medusa and because of this terrible thing that happened to her she became this monster that if you look upon her directly will turn you into stone and so then Perseus is given this shield and a sword and the shield he can use as a mirror and he walks into the cave backwards and uses the mirror to look at Medusa from a different angle to not be turned into stone by beholding her directly is able to vanquish her. And the very power of her horror is the power that he takes out of the cave to use to defeat chaos and save the future. All of that, to me, is, well, first off, the story that has been printed in our sky by the artists of old. But for people today, it's an allegory for going back into your past. Our own traumas are so terrifying to look at directly sometimes that we've got to back into them and see them from another angle that you can't change the facts of what's in there what's in the cave of your past but you can change the story you can see it from a different vantage point and if you're able to do that and get close enough to vanquish that trauma that trauma that anxiety actually becomes the very power that you can come back with and do something great and I will certainly tell you the process of writing this book was that over and over and over again. So many different things came up for me as I was examining who I am, where I come from, that it helped me to decide where I'm going. And in so many different respects, the physical copy of the book itself is my Medusa's head in my hands on the other side of the shadow work that I had to do. Beautiful. Well, speaking of stories, you say that everyone has a story, but not all of us know how to tell it in the same way. Everyone has a creative spark, but not all of us know how to find it. It begins with understanding what you're made of. We all rest up on a story. We might just not be living it. And so I, that really struck me because I, one of my friends, Nikki Grimm, she said, everybody has a story worth telling. And that has honestly been kind of one of the foundational values by which I have run this show where it's never, hey, how famous is this person? It's, is this story worth telling? And is it personally interesting to me? But uh, how do you connect a creative vision and a story together? Uh, because I think there are some people who are masterful at doing it. They can take their life story and, you know, you see it in these beautiful movies and beautiful art or books. But then there are people who have a story, but to your point, they don't know how to tell it and they don't know how to express it. So how do you bridge that gap? Yeah, so that part is in the what you rest upon chapter, which is the grounded one. I mean, that's the one where, you know, you're, you're, you got to contend with the reality of, of who you are and who you're not in terms of where do you begin, right? And so there's a bit of a message in the book in terms of a lot of people that don't know where to begin. It's just like, look at your feet. 
what do you what do you carry what is what is in your your heritage what is your ancestry there's always stories there that can give you a purpose if you want to take that up if not then there's the land that you stand upon and there's deep deep stories within that land there's there's a lot of empowerment i think with looking at your feet to figure out where to go next because that's the reality that you wake up to and if you want to go somewhere it's one of those you know take one step at a time kind of things so there's a lot of uh you know storytelling that I did in that chapter in terms of how I contended that with myself in terms of you know my ancestry and the land that my life has been built upon uh but this is about purpose right this is about there's another way to there's another angle at which to approach this it's uh it's it's creativity as service rather than as expression and and that's something that i i discovered through my career when when i made the switch from being a musician constantly trying to promote my music and thinking about what i was trying to express and then by circumstance being forced into uh into work i found that my relationship with creativity shifted to being not about expression, but about service. It was like, here are these things that I can do. Here's the job that I have. Now that gives me direction. So it's actually really quite simple when you look at your capabilities and your circumstances. And sometimes the next step is just right there in front of you. Well, speaking of next steps, like the thing that another thing that really struck me is you said that the makers and marketers look to the short cycles of trends and fashion. The mystics look to the broader and more sweeping cycles of change. They each understand the same things change is the only change is the only constant. The human story evolves substantially across the slow moving but certain turning of the wheel of the planets and stars. And this idea of chasing trends really struck me because I started a podcast long before it was trendy. I mean, you know, in fact, it was anything but trendy. People were saying podcasting was dead, but then I saw this over and over and I kept thinking to myself, I'm like, you never want to be the person who chases or follows a trend. You want to be the one who starts it. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is the good stuff. Uh, we are stuck. When I say we, I mean the kind of modern internet citizen. We are stuck in like a one week cycle. And that is no way to create, that is no way to live, really. And in the business world, we're stuck in quarterly cycles or annual cycles. That's where a lot of the work is in terms of if you're trying to, you know, make revenue for a business, if you're trying to chase an algorithm by posting according to what is trending, you're playing catch up constantly. And I'm not here to say that that is the wrong thing to do. I am saying that if that's the only thing that you're doing, you're going to get stuck. And so this is where the knowledge and systems of the mystics can be brought to bear because they are kind of by definition made to do two things. One, to ground you deeper in the present moment and release from the stress of keeping up all the time. And two, to give you a longer view of the unfolding of humanity over more than just years, but decades and centuries and millennia. Well, you know, the thing that always strikes me about trends in particular, and this ended up becoming the foundation for my first book that I wrote, was that I would see this pattern over and over again. Somebody would see a person who was successful get a result. 
and they would try to replicate that thing at to the letter. You know, and I always said, like, you're missing one giant variable here. Go look in the mirror. And so I wonder when you think about this idea of trends, why are people so blind to context when they think about this thing, particularly when it comes to prescriptive advice? Wow. I've been thinking about context a lot. I want to I want to ask you a little bit more first, like yeah. you're talking about context here. What is what does context mean to you? Well, it's funny because I literally just published a blog post titled Context is Everything. Um, so I think context is multifaceted, right? I don't think we can say it's just one thing. Uh, in my mind, it's a combination of things, environment, upbringing, timing, um, you know, your social groups, your genetics, all of those things play a role. So to give you an absurd example, imagine me trying to go to the NBA. Never going to happen, no matter how much I practice. I'm a scrawny Indian, you know, like it's just. I'm not predetermined to be able to do that as I learned from seventh grade football where I got the hell beat out of it. Uh, but I see this over and over, uh, you know, particularly when it comes to self-help. And uh, I saw it, you know, over and over in all the online marketing world. It was like people would take a, a podcasting course, then they would try to like replicate the same exact podcast the person teaching the course had started. It, you know, and it like instead of ecosystems, they were building echo chambers. Hmm. Hmm. So this is so cool, All right? Because I I have a, a a blog post ready to hit publish about context right now too. So this is a perfect example of being tuned into something that is coming out of our collective unconscious that is ready to be brought into the algorithm, ready to brought into the mainstream. And obviously, this is not the first time that we've talked about context, but. It is my job as a creative strategist, as all of these, as a maker, a marketer, and a mystic, it is my job to intuit when there is a concept, a word, or a symbol, an idea that is stepping into exaltation, that there is a new light that is being shined on it. It is carrying a charged energy that is going to shift the conversation. And there is certainly something happening around the word context right now. So, you know, context is many, many different things. As far as the structure of our environments in terms of whether it's, you know, the 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 city that we're brought up in or the digital community that we get our information, that creates a context that shapes our reality. And we as a global internet culture are, I think, ready to have that conversation about all that that means. Context also means like your intent in terms of coming into a conversation. My context coming into this conversation is I've got a book to promote. <laughs> That's a mindset, yeah. right? And that is something that marketers deeply understand. But context is this word that is really coming to the forefront in terms of something that is is there for us all to think about, whether it's as a part of our business strategy or how we are writing or how we are connecting compassionately from human to human. You know, words are kind of like symbols in that way. They're anchors for these big ideas. And it's really interesting to me that we both have blog posts ready to go about this idea of context right now. Yeah, well, I've been just gradually writing up sections for a book that, you know, working title is Everybody is Full of Shit, Including Me. 
<laughs> which I, I think is, is like a fitting way to describe context because in yeah. different, depending on the context, I am full of shit and, you know, you are too, to a degree, depending on who we're talking about. I learned this actually from a student in one of my courses when she showed up with two babies in tow to one of our calls. And I thought to myself, I'm giving her productivity advice based on the life of a guy who is single. I am yeah. so full of shit right now and I don't even realize it. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, it's vantage point, right? It's, that's where you're, you're talking about the, the alignment of, of subjective and, and objective, right? Yeah. There's like two completely different experiences, two different contexts. And I think that we're learning right now how to, uh, how to build with an understanding of the existence of different contexts. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk uh, about AI. This was like probably one of my favorite sections of the book because uh, you had talked about the concerns that creatives have. And I, you know, I have a, a, a blog post that's now ranking second on Google titled, you know, AI spells trouble for creatives, how to adapt and thrive. Um, but the thing that, you know, struck me was what you said was this, was that generative AI tools are impressive in their ability to render in the likeness of great creators or their styles of composition, but they will rely on those inputs to imagine. The inventiveness of a new style comes from something else. It's not that AI is incapable of providing a style of creativity and scene. What every AI pushes out is defined by whatever it pulls in. Outputs from inputs, giving from receiving, that's a creative current at its core. And the reason that that struck me so much was uh, I had a book called The Artificially Intelligent Creative that I self-published a while back, and I had an entire chapter on the importance of communicating with AI, and it was based on a conversation I had with my cousin when we were talking about this, and he said, yeah, you're still 50% of the equation. And I was like, yeah, like human input is one of the most important things, and I, I see this with my own clients that I've been working with. I literally have a client this morning, and he sent me a, a thing saying, hey, the thing you told me to do isn't working, and I looked at the prompt, and I was like, okay, I know why. <laughs> Uh, but it just got me thinking that, you know, these artists are so scared. And I realized like this is in a lot of ways a golden opportunity if you see it that way and you don't see it as a tool, but as a partner. Absolutely. So this is a rich one. Um, the first place I want to go to is doubling down on uh, what it highlights in the last part of our conversation. I wrapped this book. I finished writing it last year. <laughs> so bringing up AI and thinking about where is the conversation going to be in October of 2023, where this is the end of 2022. So much has happened in that time. And I, I really had to rely on the tools that I've been talking about in terms of looking up and intuiting where is this going? What is, what is beyond the cycle of the conversation this week, this, you know, this quarter, this, even this year, this is into next year. So I, I, I hope that the writing that I did on AI, uh, still fits and, 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 and you sharing that quote is, is validation that to some degree that it did. Um, so, you know, it just, I want to first like emphasize the, the importance of being able to cultivate that skill of being able to, uh, you hear this a lot, a lot of sports analogies in the business world, right? Skate to where the puck is going, right? So, so that first and foremost, um, but I, I think that the dominant conversation within the last year about AI between when I, I finished the final draft of this and this conversation now has been about these fears that a lot of creatives have in terms of what is this going to do to our, our livelihoods. And it's been a lot of envisioning what it's taking away rather than what it is giving. And so 
I do think that at some point in the book, I, I describe like AI is another mind that you can use to express your human heart. It still needs that subjective experience. It still needs the anxiety the, that you feel, the, the emotions that you bring to it, uh, your, your connection to these, the synchronicities of experience that a, that a human is, is privy to in ways that maybe, maybe a machine is not. It's, you know, there was a time when the cutting edge of art was mixing paint colors. And all of a sudden we were able to depict light on canvas and that changed everything. And then there's perspective and then there's impressionism and expressionism. And there's all these moments in this, there's a, there's a dialogue between the art and science between, you know, the, uh, what it is that the truth that we want to express and the technology that we have to do so. I, I don't think that there's really, maybe somebody can correct me that's listening, but I don't think that there's really been a time that a technological advancement has set creativity back. It has certainly yeah. caused disruption, but, you know, the photograph, recorded music, many, many concerns that people had when those technologies were brought to bear. And they certainly changed the economics of things, but they helped us realize creativity that simply wasn't available to us beforehand. And I believe that that is what is coming next. Yeah, I mean, I this is something that I had said and I've said it before that, uh, you know, I remember reading The Wealth of Nations and Adam Smith talked about this idea of division of labor being the key to maximizing your output. And of course, you work at Reddit, so you know that. Like, yeah. like who has the resources that Reddit does? Most creators don't. And I realized, I was like, this is literally shifting that balance of power and making division of labor at scale accessible to the masses and giving the ability to create at the speed of thought. Like that is one of the most fundamental economic power shifts in 200 years. It absolutely is. Yeah. So, you know, we're, there's a lot of people that are saving a lot of time in terms of uh, execution. That's been a theme of this conversation too, right? Yeah. So because it's easier to execute now, that is why I'm confident about tripling down on the idea of focusing on, well, where does creativity come from? Because having the idea and having a sense of taste and having a literacy in aesthetic and in the humanities is all of a sudden a more urgent education and skill set than it was before. Yeah. Well, the, the, the way I'd said it was that your ability to imagine what's possible with these tools is going to be far more important than the technical competency needed to use them um, as mm -hmm. they get easier and easier. Because like I have, you know, over probably 25 years, I've just observed what I call this gap between creativity and technology. Uh, and, you know, I don't know how old you are, but I was uh, in Ber at Berkeley in the mid 90s when the Internet first came about. And if you had an idea uh, for whatever it was, the technical skills required to make that idea a reality were sufficient. Like they, they required serious training. So the yeah. average person could not execute. But a as, you know, sort of technology has progressed, what once took a hundred million dollars in funding, I, I remember this, I inter interviewed Lisa Gansky, the co-founder of Ophoto. Ophoto was, you know, for people listening who don't know, one of the early photo sharing sites. And she told me that that website took a hundred million dollars in funding to build. And today somebody could sit at their desk on a weekend and build that in an hour. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible. I, you know, there's, uh, there, there's a few moments that I, that I look to. And on, on that path, I, I think that, you know, in the 2000s, the smartphone put a content studio in everybody's pocket, and that created a world of the content creator where it's easy to, to be a photographer. You don't have to know how to, you know, develop 
film in a dark room like I had to learn, right? And today with AI, everybody has a developer terminal in their pocket now. So what is that influencer of the future web? It's it's going to be a, a different skill set where the the barrier to entry has just completely crumbled. And now the question is, can we raise can we raise the ceiling on the other side? Can we if more people have access to tools? This is a question I don't have an answer to. If more people have access to the tools, does that make the world better? Well, on that note, I, I want to bring back a clip from a previous episode uh, with a conversation about a conversation I had with Julian Smith. Take a listen. I don't want to get your take on this. Sure. Technology is a series of Jenga blocks that build on top of each other. And each Jenga block is necessary for the next Jenga block to exist. But we can't predict what will happen ahead of time. Mm-hmm. But we always have to be saying, oh, here's this new tool. What does this new tool allow me to do over and over and over and over again? So. That conversation stayed with me. I remember that. And that informed so much of what I did and thought about technology. Every time a new piece of technology came, like my default question, anytime I saw a new product was, what can I make with this that I couldn't before? Uh, but I want to hear your take on that. Yeah, well, I mean, he's correct. So I, I agree uh, emphatically with that um, description of, you know, each new piece of technology, you know, is is stacked upon what came before it. it the, the adjacent possible is always moving up based upon what what is. Um, I think that my role in this conversation is to add the humanity side to it. If Jenga is the metaphor, then the arrangement of those pieces is determined by human reactions to them. And then, of course, along the lines of myth, we're playing with the Tower of Babel here, aren't we? Yeah. How high can we go without the whole thing falling down. Yeah. Amazing. Um, well, I, I could probably talk to you all day about this. I mean, this is, uh, like I said, there's such a deep, rich, you know, multifaceted, multilayered subject. Uh, so we may have to have you back again at some, but uh, in the back. interest of time, uh, I want to finish with my final question, which is how we sure. finish all of our interviews. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? I think going back to the beginning of our conversation in terms of morning pages, morning notes, you know, your morning coffee and the release that that leads to, the skin of the orange over the juice, getting to the honesty on the inside. There's an intelligence in your heart that doesn't live in your head. The head thinks, but the heart knows. And that's unmistakable. Beautiful. Um, Well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story, your wisdom, and your insights with all the Where can people find out more about you, your work, and everything else you're up to? I'm on mostly, um, I'm actually on LinkedIn and Instagram. Uh, my name, Will Katie, C-A-D-Y is how you spell it. My handle is, is Will Katie, and uh, my website is will-katie.com. Amazing. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Selling a little? 
or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Boll & Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Boll & Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BollAndBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.